Tonight, Lord willing, we'd like to take a look at the 18th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, last time, a couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Of course, this was a chapter in which we studied the life of David as he went out by God's grace and by the providence of God. He was able to slay Goliath the giant and obtain one of the most notable victories in Israel's history. In fact, it's one of the most spectacular events, I think, in world history as far as that's concerned, but certainly in Israel's history. And as chapter 17 closed out, we find David returning to Jerusalem with the head of Goliath the giant, and he's met by Saul. Now, chapter 18 opens up with Jonathan and David bonding as close friends. We notice in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, It came to pass when he made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of, soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Take a look at verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. This would be a covenant of, of friendship. Um, but it was more than just a normal friendship, an average friendship. It said that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. The word knit here means to unite in a very intimate manner, intimate way. We find in the book of Colossians, Paul writing to this church, and twice in chapter 2, he speaks about them being comforted and knit together in love. When I think of that word knit, I, I actually think about um, perhaps a, a lady, and she's knitting things. She's taking thread, she's taking material and she's, that are, are separate in pieces, and she works with her hands and she knits it together. When she's finished, they all make up one piece. They're all united together. We have one body, physically, that God created and gave to us. It has many members, but we're all connected. Well, they're all, all the members are connected to make the one body. The bond that we have with God is the everlasting love. That's what knits us all together. And church members should be knit together in love. We should be of one mind, one accord. That principle is expressed throughout the Word of God. Psalms 133 verse 1 says, How good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. That means they are knit together. That word knit literally means fellow, like fellowship. So we see that Jonathan, his soul was knit together with the soul of David. Now, that's interesting from the standpoint that Jonathan would be the heir apparent to take the throne of Israel after his father Saul. Normally when a king died, his oldest son would replace him. Jonathan is the oldest son of Saul. But God has other plans that we've already seen. There's a man after God's own heart. His name is David. There's a man who was a neighbor of Saul that was better than he. That's what Saul was told by Samuel that God was going to replace him with. It was God's purpose to replace Saul with David. So Jonathan, who would normally be the replacement, the heir apparent, is not going to be. But yet he does not view David as a threat. He does not view David with jealousy and envy like his father will. 
He's not suspicious of David. Uh, he's not concerned that David is gaining great popularity with all the people based upon his exploits, especially slaying the giant Goliath. I think what Jonathan sees in David is somebody very like him. You go back a few chapters, chapter 13, and you find where Jonathan was placed in charge of one-third of the army of Israel. He showed great maturity, in other words. He showed leadership skills. And so Saul placed him in charge of one-third of the army. And we find where Jonathan uh, engaged in a battle with the Philistines in chapter 13 and was victorious. In the next chapter, chapter 14, we find where Jonathan went out under the guiding hand of God and captured a garrison or two garrisons, I believe it was, of the Philistines. So what little we know about Jonathan up to this point shows a man of courage, shows a man with leadership ability and leadership skills. It shows a, a man uh, that is brave. He's, he's courageous. And now he has witnessed, along with all Israel, David slaying Goliath, that giant, when no one else would volunteer. No one else volunteered to fight the giant, but David comes along, and David does. And David slays the giant. And David comes back to Jerusalem. He has the head of Goliath with him. He's met by Saul, and they have a conversation. And after the conversation, Jonathan and David meet up together. And Jonathan, his soul is knit together with the soul of David, and David's with Jonathan. And so this is a well-known relationship, a well-known um, thing in, in the Bible of the relationship between Jonathan and David. And it's going to play out for us uh, as we continue to look at his life down the road. So their hearts are knit together. We're to be knit together by the Spirit of God within our hearts based upon the love the Lord Jesus Christ has had for us and his love that dwells within us. Now, Jonathan did something else. Look at verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was upon him and gave it to David in his garments, even to his sword and his bow and to his girdle. Now, you might think, well, why would he do something like that? Well, Saul now has taken David in. Before David was going from watching over his father's sheep to coming to the palace and playing on the harp, to smooth the feelings of Saul out because Saul became very disgruntled. When David was anointed, the Spirit of God came on David and the Spirit of God departed Saul. The servants had suggested to find a man that could play and they found David who could play and David would come. He would play for Saul and he would go back to where his father was and he'd keep the sheep. But now David is going to be in the court with Saul permanently. Jonathan realizes that shepherd's clothing is not appropriate. Now David's going to have some other clothes, and Jonathan gives him his clothes, gives him his garments, gives him his robe, gives him his sword, his shield, his bow. I believe this uh, affirms again the knitting of the souls of these two men, number one. And now David can sit there at the table, not just as a shepherd, but David can sit there at the table as a prince and also as a soldier. Now he's got the appropriate clothing on. But in contrast, remember when Saul tried to put his armor on David back in chapter 17 when he's going to fight Goliath the giant. What did David do? 
Well, he started to put it on to begin with, but it's like he just paused and thought about it and says, this is not what I've trusted in in my lifetime. When I fought the bear and I fought the lion, I, I did it with the shepherd's uh, uh, sling and, you know, the rod and the staff. I trusted in the Lord. The Lord blessed me. The Lord delivered me. He enabled to, me to bring back the lamb, bring back the, uh, you know, the sheep that the lion and the bear was going to take away. And so he took it off. It didn't fit. It didn't fit literally. It wasn't the same size as Saul, but it didn't fit because he never tried this, never proved this. And this was symbolic of David trusting in man rather than God if he'd have put it on and used it. So he rejected it. He put it away. But he doesn't reject this. He doesn't reject what Jonathan is putting on him because it's a totally different situation. And David is going to uh, go out and fight the Lord's battles. He's going to have to have some armor. He didn't have it. He's from a poor family. We'll find out about that later. But Jonathan loved David so much, he knew that the shepherd's clothing now would need to be laid aside. And you know, we're told in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, that we're to lay aside the old man and put on the new man. If we're going to do battle against the world, against our nature, against the devil himself, we got to be equipped with the armor that God has given us. So we had to put on the new man, number one. Then we put on the whole armor of God, number two. We're not to put on the weapons of this warfare, a carnal warfare, as Paul you know, wrote to the Corinthians. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the mighty two gods are pulling down the strongholds. There's a lot of people claim they're fighting the God's battles, but they're doing it in a carnal sense with carnal weapons. The weapons God has given us is found in Ephesians chapter 6. Here Paul tells us we to put on the helmet of salvation. We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're to gird about our loins with truth and have our feet shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace. Where are you going to find truth at? You're going to find it in the Word of God. That's where you're going to find it. You know, one of the most popular shows on TV now is what they call reality shows. I don't see a lot of reality in those shows. <laughs> uh, when you turn the camera on people, you're not going to get them in their natural setting. When you turn the camera on people, uh, they're not going to uh, act and behave like they normally do. But when we study 1 Samuel chapter 18, you're going to get reality. You're going to find reality here in 1 Samuel chapter 18. You're going to find some of the best of human nature, you're going to find some of the worst of human nature. you find the providence of God. you can find the blessings of God. And here, Saul's son, Jonathan, remember this is the king's son, the king's oldest son, who normally would be the heir apparent to the throne, but in this case, God has made other arrangements. It is not going to be Jonathan. It's going to be David. But this friendship they have now, this bond that they have, simply means that they're going to look after one another. God is blessing David with a friend, a real friend, that's going to be a blessing to him because he's the king's son. He has inside information, and he's going to be in the palace. Otherwise, David wouldn't have a friend. God brings Jonathan into favor with David in his marvelous providence. I tell you, a good friend uh, is worth more than silver and gold, isn't it? That's why we find verses in the Bible that says, faithful the wounds of a friend, but the seed for the kisses of an enemy. That a friend loveth at all times. He's not just with you when things are going well. He's with you when things aren't going well. He's with you when the sun is shining. He's with you when the sun is not shining. 
He's with you when it's storming. He's with you every day, all the time. Circumstances are not going to affect his friendship that he has with you. A true friend is a great blessing, and God's going to give David a great blessing here with the friendship of Jonathan. Jonathan gives David all of his, his garments, his, his bow, his girdle, his sword. And then verse 5 it says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. Now, I'm always looking in the Old Testament for something that reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> always be looking for something that reminds you of Jesus. Now, David went whithersoever the king sent him. He didn't question where he sent him. He didn't hesitate going where he sent him. When Saul sent him somewhere, he went. Whithersoever he was sent, he went. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us a number of times, which recorded for us, that the Lord Jesus Christ was a man that was sent. John 6, 38 and 39, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. In John chapter 4, the Lord said, My meat to do the will of him that sent me. The Savior was sent from heaven to this world. Remember when David was sent by his father Jesse? Go back to chapter 17. His father Jesse sent him to the battlefield. Sent him to find out how his brother were faring sent provisions for his brother. Did David hesitate? He did not. There was no delay. David did immediately what his father told him to do and went immediately doing what the father sent him to do. Here, whithersoever, whithersoever Saul sent him, David went. That reminds me of Ecclesiastes 10.9, the wise man Solomon. He says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. In the book of Colossians, in the New Testament, Paul writes in Colossians 3, I think it's uh, verses 22 and 23. He says, Once if thou do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, knowing that you serve the Lord Christ and shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Whatever God has told us to do, we're to do it from the heart. We're to do it heartily. We're to put our heart into it, in other words. Once if thou hand findeth to do, do it. With all thy might, the mother of our Lord told the disciples of Christ at the wedding in Canaan land, What shall he saith unto you, do it. So we should do it with enthusiasm. We should do it with eagerness. We should do it uh, with promptness. Uh, you know, my dad always told me if there was something worth doing, it was worth doing right. If it's worth doing at all, it's worth doing right. Now that's what you call an adage. And there's just untold a number of these, I am sure. And a good many of them are indeed right and they're true, but you find one like that, you'll find the principle behind it contained right here in the Word of God. Whatsoever thou doest, do it heartily. Romans 12, 11, he says, We're to be fervent in spirit, not slothful in business. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Whithersoever Saul sent him, David went and behaved himself wisely. Now, in this chapter, you'll find that recorded about David four times. And David behaved, behaved himself wisely. I believe to behave yourself wisely, you've got to be wise. That makes sense to you? The foolish aren't going to behave themselves wisely, right? So if you go behave yourself wisely, you've got to be wise. You were not born in this world a wise person, I can assure you. You were not. 
James 1, 5 tells us where wisdom comes from. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who hath all men liberally, and upbraideth not. It pleases God to give someone who asks him for wisdom. It pleases God to give him wisdom. God is wisdom personified. Four times we're told in this chapter that David behaved himself wisely. And each time that expression is used, you'll find a little something attached to it, so to speak. Let's notice here. David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. The acceptance of David among the people, among the soldiers, among the servants. Keep that in mind. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. You see anything wrong with that? It's quite normal when, they, when a, some, a nation had a, had a battle and they, they won it. It was quite normal for situations to happen just like this. When the people would rejoice and they would play and they would sing and they would uh, dance, so to speak. A time of rejoicing. But do you see anything wrong with the message? It says, David has slain his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. There's several things wrong with this message. One, they didn't refer to Saul as King Saul. Just Saul. Saul has slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. What else is wrong with this? They gave more honor to David, who was a subject, than they did to the sovereign, which was Saul. They gave more honor to the soldier than they did to the commander-in-chief. That's a couple of things wrong with it. But the most important thing that's wrong with this statement is they gave man the glory. Saul has slain his thousands. Did he Really? Or did God bless him to slay his thousands? And David is slain his ten thousands, or did he really? Or was not God in the arrangement? Could he have slain ten thousands, so to speak, had God not been in it? Could he have slain Goliath the giant if God had not been in it? These women are singing a song that God's name is not even mentioned. His name is not in this. Go to Exodus chapter 15 and you'll read the first song recorded in Scripture. It happens right after Israel as it comes across the Red Sea. God delivered Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of an Egyptian bondage. He delivered them out of there, dry shot across to the other side. Not one was left behind, not one was slain. Every single Israelite that was down in Egypt makes it out of Egypt across the Red Sea. All of Pharaoh's chariots and his horses and his soldiers all drowned in the Red Sea. And then we find a song recorded in Exodus chapter 15. You'll find God mentioned in that many times. God got the praise. God got the glory. God got the honor. Not man. Moses didn't get the honor. Aaron didn't get the honor. Joshua didn't get the honor. They were all there. They didn't get the honor. God used Moses. He had a rod in his hand. He says, Moses, stand still, stretch forth thy rod toward the Red Sea, and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, see the deliverance of the Lord. And that's exactly what they did. Now, that's a, an example of the kind of song you're singing in worship. 
one that praises God, honors God, and gives God the glory for it. This song that these women are singing doesn't even mention God's name. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. They were happy. They were rejoicing. The Philistine army had been defeated. Goliath had been slain by David. God's name is not even mentioned. Come to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Corinthian church had a problem. They had a problem because they were giving honor to men rather than honor to God. Some said they were Cephas. Some said they were Apollos. Some said they were Paul. And some said they were Christ. There was four different groups there at Corinth. Now that theme, so to speak, well that problem is traced for about three chapters. And you come to the third chapter. And Paul here writes, if Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. There can be no increase without God. You can plant all you want to, water all you want to, there will be no increase apart from God. He says, we'll labor together with God. Did David labor with God when he slew Goliath, or did he not? I've said before, I know David was an expert marksman. I have no doubt about that. I'm sure he practiced. I'm sure he trained oftentimes when he was watching his father's sheep. But I'm going to tell you, that was just a small spot that that stone hit when he found the forehead of the giant. That giant was covered with armor from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, except one little spot right up here. Stone found the mark, didn't it? Divine accuracy, my friends, was involved there. I have no question, no doubt in my mind whatsoever. If God had not been with David, I doubt seriously that stone would have found its mark. The most important thing wrong with this scene we have right here is these women are praising men and they're not praising God. And then the way they praise men. Again, they're giving honor to David, who's a soldier, and not to the commander-in-chief, that's Saul. They don't even dress Saul as king. That, that wasn't really uh, appropriate. They should have said King Saul. But they're counting numbers as well. Now, what if they'd have said, God has blessed us to slay many Philistines. God has used David. God has used Saul. Uh, many Philistines have been slain. The giant is killed and we have driven them away, and we have freedom, and we have liberty. Now, I think that would have been okay, don't you? Anytime you issue praise from your lips, and God's name isn't mentioned, <laughs> it's not appropriate, you see. So that's what we have here. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. To me, they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? There's three things now that Saul is very disturbed about. Number one, he's disturbed that the people are all pleased with David. David has the approval of the people. He's accepted with the people. His second problem is he now becomes jealous. Now, jealousy is... According to the Song of Solomon, chapter uh, 8, verse 6, he says, Love is strong as death. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. Jealousy is one of those things that we all have the potential uh, to practice, right? 
Envy is another thing. Envy is part of our human nature. According to Titus chapter 3, verse 3, we sometimes were sometimes foolish, uh, deceitful, serving divers' lust and pleasures, envy, envy and envious and hating one another. Envy is part of your human nature. It's part of your depravity. <laughs> envy is when you look at somebody else and maybe they've had greater success and you don't like it. You don't like the fact you don't have as much success as they had. And Saul here is going to allow envy to take root. He's going to allow jealousy to take root. And it's going to be to his ruination. That's number two. Number three is he asks the question, what more can he have than the kingdom? Has Saul forgotten what Samuel told him? Samuel told him in 1 Samuel chapter 13, when he... When he uh, did what he was not allowed to do because God separated the throne from the altar and the king did not have the authority or the power to make an offering, a sacrifice, and Saul did that. And you find where Samuel is sent to him and Samuel rebukes him. Saul tried to justify it, rationalize it. And we find where Samuel rebukes him and tells him the kingdom is going to be taken from him and given to a man after God's own heart. Had he forgot that? And in chapter 15, when he failed to do what God commanded, he rejected the word of the Lord, and God rejected him. And Samuel comes to him again and says, Thy kingdom shall not continue. It shall be rent from thee, torn from thee, and given to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou art. Had he forgot that? He should have already remembered that. So when he says, what more shall be given him but, but the kingdom itself, the kingdoms have been taken away, Saul. Now, you may still be the king, but the kingdom's going to be taken away from you. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of God's time, you see. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Saul personally tried to kill David two times. David was a valuable man. Saul should have been happy. Saul should have said, all oh, those silly women, saying that, uh, you know, David slayed his ten thousand, and I've just slayed my thousands. Uh, that's not going to bother me. Here's a valuable man. Here's a courageous man. Here's a man that slew Goliath the giant. And he's going to be a valuable man in my army because he's going to fight the Lord's battles. But now envy and jealousy has taken root. It's going to end up destroying Saul in the years ahead. He has a javelin. He cast it twice, missed twice. And then notice verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Remember when David was anointed, what we already mentioned once earlier tonight? The Spirit of God came on David and the Spirit of God departed from Saul. Now when you read verses like that, it ought to sink into your minds that there is really such a thing as God helping us. God giving us courage and God giving us strength and God giving us a, a sound mind. Those are not just words we say. Those are real things that take place and real things that happen. 
All the great men of the Bible, if you'll go and read their lives very carefully, you'll find somewhere along the line where it says, and God was with them. God was with Moses. God was with Joshua. God is with David. God was with Joseph. In fact, if you go over to the book of Acts chapter 7, you'll find where Stephen is given a, um, a re, he's rehearsing the history of Israel. And it says in verses, verse 9 and 10, he said, for the patriarchs sold for envy Joseph down into Egypt. But God was with him. <laughs> what a difference. What a, I love that word B-U-T. That means he's getting ready to turn things around. Like you go back to Titus 3 and 3. For we were sometimes foolish, serving divers lust and pleasures, envious and hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. But after that, aren't you glad that verse is there? But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now he just summarized just right there in those two verses over there in Acts chapter 7, how that God delivered him out of all of his afflictions and then gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh. David behaved himself wisely. He did whatsoever Saul told him to do, whatsoever Saul sent him to do. David has not let success go to his head. <laughs> now just think about it. You've just come to Jerusalem holding the head of the giant. You're a teenage boy. People no doubt are shouting. People no doubt are calling his name. People no doubt are patting him on the back and commending him and praising him for his courage and his bravery and for what he was able to accomplish. It's pretty hard sometimes not to let success puff you up. Go to your head. But there's no indication that takes place in the life of David. In fact, we're going to see a couple of statements showing his humility. In verse 14, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Again, we, we have this. In all of his ways. You ever uh, took notice how many times the word all is used concerning our connection with God? What's the two commandments the lawyer asked the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, and all thy strength. And to love thy neighbor as thyself. What did Solomon say concerning trusting the Lord in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? But trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to, to, lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy path. I like Mark 7, 37, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, he hath done all things well. <laughs> all things well. That's without exception. That's an all without an exception, I can assure you right there. He made himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. 
The very fact that Saul could see that God was with David caused Saul to be afraid of David. He was able to detect that. He could see that. He knew that David couldn't, done, couldn't have done the things he'd done and be accepted like he was accepted unless God was with him. You should be able to see when God is with people. I believe I can do that. I believe I have and able to tell when God is with somebody, when God is blessing somebody, I should be able to see that. You should be able to see that. How important it is for God to be with us. Notice verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David <laughs> because he went out and he came in before them. Now Saul was an outstanding schemer. He may have failed in a lot of things, but he was an outstanding schemer. And he's got his oldest daughter, and he promised his oldest daughter to David if he will go out and fight the Philistines. Notice what he says about this. For Saul said, let not mine hand be upon him. He's already tried to kill him twice, unsuccessful. But let the hand of the Philistine be upon him. Now he's trying to figure out how the Philistines can kill him for him. And David said unto Saul, notice this in verse 18, the humility of this man. Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? David can't imagine that he could be the son-in-law to King Saul. Now, his family is one of the most respected families in Israel, but they were not among the elite. David sees that. He's not trying to, you know, move from one place to another in society. Just like that woman over there, that great woman when Elijah was uh, dealing with her, whenever she had shown him such favor and so shown him so much grace and had blessed him so abundantly, they even built a little room onto the house where he could uh, have, have some rest and, and have a table and a candlestick and a chair and all that. And he asked her, what shall I do for thee? She says, I dwell among my own people. She had no desire to change her situation. In other words, she was one of the things that made her great was that she was content with what she had and where she was. David can't even imagine, can't imagine that he could wind up in the palace as the king's son-in-law and seeing King Saul had promised his oldest daughter to him, but it doesn't attract him. He winds up giving his oldest daughter away to somebody else. And then we find his second daughter, his youngest daughter, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Now, if you didn't read any further, you might think, well, that's just like anybody who has a, a daughter and, he, and she falls in love with a young man that he highly respects. He's happy about it, but he doesn't highly respect David. He wants to kill David, but it pleases him that his youngest daughter has fallen in love with him. Here's what he says. And Saul said, I'll find, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him. <laughs> How would you like to have a father-in-law like that? I'm going to give her to him because I think she'll be a snare to him. She's my youngest daughter. I'll, I'll give her to him. And that'll, that'll work in my favor that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. And then he, he tells David. And then he commands his servants to go to David secretly and tell him the king hath delight in him, and all the servants love him. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. They're persuading David. And Saul's servant spoke those words in the ears of David. Here's David's reply in verse 23. 
And David said, seem it to you a light thing to be king's son-in-law? They've come to him and said, you'll be the son-in-law to the king. Seeing that I'm a poor man and lightly esteemed. He didn't feel worthy, in other words. He didn't feel worthy to be considered to be the king's son-in-law. No matter what he had done, he didn't feel worthy about it. But Saul's got the answer. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On this manner spake David. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desireth not a dowry. That was a common thing. If you wanted to marry somebody, marriages were arranged back in that day. Maybe we need to go back to that. I don't know. But anyway, marriages was arranged. And if you wanted to marry somebody's daughter, you had to come up with some money. <laughs> That's what the diary was. David said, I'm a poor man. I don't have anything. Saul says, that's okay. All I want you to do is go out and fight the Philistines again. All I want you to do is go out and fight the Philistines and bring back 100 foreskins of the Philistines and that'll be your dowry. David likes that. He thinks he can do that. So he goes out. He don't bring back 100. He brings back 200. I hope you begin to see a picture here tonight as we begin to close here this evening. I hope you begin to see a picture that the more that Saul did to try to kill David and harm David and hurt David, the more David prospered. It reminds me of Pharaoh and the Israelites in Exodus chapter 1. Remember that? How that Pharaoh... Uh, got concerned because the Israelites was multiplying so much. He was afraid that one day a battle would take place and they'd join the enemy. And so uh, he put hard bondage upon them. And the more bondage he put upon them, the more they multiplied. Then he had the, the, uh, you know, the women that help him there when they had the children. He, he said, that's the way we're going to do it. If a male child is born, you destroy that male child. But God intervened and put the fear of God in their hearts. And they wouldn't do what the king, what Pharaoh said. So Israel just kept multiplying. Then he says, I'll have all the male sons, as, you know, the male children, the sons, when they're born, we'll have them drowned in the sea. But that didn't work either. The more Pharaoh did to try to destroy Israel, the more they multiplied and the more they prospered. The more that King Saul tries to do to harm David, hurt David, and kill David, the greater David prospers, the more exploits he does, and the greater his fame begins to spread throughout all the Israelites. Look in verse 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. How many times have I read that expression to you in this chapter? That the Lord was with David? And that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him? And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. The more Saul saw God was with David, the greater he was afraid of David. And he became David's enemy, not just every now and then, but on a continuous basis. Then it said the princes of the Philistines went forth. That means they are coming back. And it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely, that's the fourth time, than all the servants of Saul, that his name was much set by. That means David was coming more and more famous every day. His name was much set by. The middle reference of your Bible will tell you that expression means precious. That ought to make you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, shouldn't it? Remember earlier I told you when I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm looking for somebody, I'm looking for something that reminds me of the Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
His name is much set by, his name is precious. John Newton wrote the song, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Is his name precious to you? Why is the name Jesus precious to you? Because it means salvation. The name Jesus, my friends, the name of a man that saved you from your sins. That's why we're baptized in the name of Jesus. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Ghost. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, there I'll be in the midst. God gave him a name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They called his name Jesus, which means Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the list goes on and on and on, my friends. I'm telling you, the name Jesus, it ought to bring warm thoughts, uh, 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 great thoughts to your mind and warm your heart because that name means so many things. It means love and mercy and grace and compassion. It means that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It means he's always there as a friend that's taken closer than a brother. And David's name was much set by his name. It came precious in the sight of all the people. His name, my friends, was getting more and more known among all the people. They accepted him. And he was becoming more and more famous as the days went by. Saul didn't like that. <laughs> Saul didn't like that. But the Lord is continuously magnifying David and exalting David. The Lord Jesus Christ said, He that is exalted shall be abased, and he is abased shall be exalted. David was an humble man. David displayed his modesty, his humility, and God kept lifting him up, lifting him up, and raising him up, exalting him up in the sight of all the people and magnified him among the soldiers, among the people, among the servants. And God is gradually bringing to fruition his promise to make David the king of Israel.